Jessica to come up. And you probably noticed she does a lot of sign language in her worship time. So um, I've just invited her to come up. We worship in so many different ways. Hands raised, kneels, kneeling, shouts of praise, singing, whatever it is. And so I just really appreciate Jessica and her expression of worship. And I uh, just want to invite her to do that
speak to us. You alone are worthy of worship, praise. We thank you, God, for grateful for who you are, your just love for us, for us, how you speak to our hearts through your spirit, pour them through. Well, good morning, folks. A few exciting things to share with you, and then we'll carry on with our worship time. Uh, First of all, to let you know, we have another Love Henderson coming up, but uh, this time we're combining it with the Wednesday night program, which I'm really excited about. So on October 17, we're going to be doing a a Love Henderson and uh, still looking, uh, you know, for some tools and supplies, uh, volunteers, uh, that kind of thing. So uh, mark your calendars for October 17 in the evening. Secondly, garage parties. Uh, we, are, we are doing those again this year. This year, Halloween lands on a Wednesday night, which is kind of interesting. Uh, the three churches had to each independently figure out how we were going to handle that and would we carry on with our Wednesday night program or not. And uh, So it took a little while, but, but we are going to do garage parties again this year. Uh, a few small detailed changes in, in how we do it, but we are going to go for it. And if you're interested in hosting, talk to me. We're, it's, just, it's a great way to uh, engage with, with Halloween. Uh, Halloween is remarkable because it's the only day of the year where all your neighbors show up on your doorstep looking for stuff. Um, I, I know of no other holiday like that. And so to be able to leverage that and utilize that is, uh, is a gift to us. Harvest Missions Festival is also coming up. And a word on that. Um, in the past, Harvest Missions Festival has been a one-day event where we have a church service in here, and then we have a celebratory meal, and then we have another service. This year what we're doing is Harvest Missions Festival is actually a theme that is going to run three weeks. But that meal and that secondary service will only happen on the third one. So I, I want to clarify this just so we don't have any confusion. So har- the theme of Harvest Missions Festival will actually start on November 4, carry over to November 11, but November 18, the third one, is when we will actually have the meal and then the follow-up, and we'll have a guest speaker for that day and that kind of thing. So if, if you see three different dates for Harvest Missions Festival or the fourth or that kind of thing, don't get confused. Just remember that the third one, the 18th, is, is when we will have that time together. October 28th. Second graders are receiving um, some Bibles. Also, the Central District Convention is coming up. That's in Rapid City this year on November 2 to 3. And so if you're interested in being a delegate for that, talk to myself or Craig. And um, also wanted to let you know, you've probably seen this in your bulletin, uh, the rebranding team continues to, to meet weekly. And we thank you for your prayers. Please continue to, to pray for us for that process um, in this, we've, we've prayed a lot. Our first desire is to hear from the Lord. God, what is it that, that you're wanting to lead in this? Uh, secondly, we've just brainstormed a lot and, and looked over the feedback that, that we've received from you. And so we've reached a point where we want to bring before you some of the ideas that have been resurfacing, um, talk through them, explain them, and, and just hear from you. What, what are your thoughts on this? So in your bulletin, there's uh, a couple different church names. And now this is very important. We want to explain them, but not yet. Okay? 
We want to explain them, not yet, because we want you to go through the process of seeing the name and then that process of all the assumptions that you, that you go through just based on the name. So there are actually some almost like discussion questions in the bulletin. So this week, go through the names and ask yourself, which one represents our church best? Which one represents our desired future best? Uh, which one do I have questions about? What does this communicate to me? When I read this, what do I assume about worship style, preaching style, theology, the people that are going to be there, that kind of thing? And also just ask yourself, which ones you remember best? You know, wait two, three days and then turn to your spouse and be like, okay, pop quiz, there were six. Which ones do you remember? And then take note of which ones you remember and which ones you don't and why. Uh, the next two weeks, we're going to have some listening posts. We, we will explain um, some of the names, but on the next two weeks, we'd like to come to the small groups and just listen uh, at the small groups. And we'll also be available in the family center afterwards. We'll just have a pot of coffee on and, and whoever wants to come talk, we'd love to hear from you. And know that I will ask why a lot. That's great. Why? Um, why do you like that? Why, why do you not? What are your thoughts? So just be forewarned on that. So to recap, uh, there's a couple names in your bulletin. Look through them. We're not going to explain them this week, just so that you guys can, can process some of those questions that um, other people would, would experience. But for the next two weeks, we're going to have some uh, listening posts in the small groups and after church. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll have the offering and carry on with worship. Heavenly Father, thank you for another day of your grace, another day of your mercy, another day of your love. Lord, today as we look at the psalm, Lord, may we have your perspective, your understanding, your insight. Lord, life can feel heavy and burdensome and confusing and even just at times meaningless. But Lord, we trust that if we have invited you into our life and that we have given you freedom to call the shots, then there is meaning and purpose in it. And that from your perspective, it can turn into something beautiful. Lord, this morning we ask for your perspective on our life, on things in the world, on our church. Lord, may we see things with your eyes. May we see people with your eyes. Again, thank you for your grace and your mercy. We love you, Jesus. Amen.
Thank you, worship team. So for years, uh, when I worked at MB Mission, there was another um, oh, kind of department or another couple staffers that would um, work on coordinating what they called an urban plunge into downtown Vancouver. And there was a Christian college there, Columbia Bible College, and they would, uh, you know, take all the freshman class or something like that on this urban plunge. And sometimes we would go with them or, or even coordinate our own. But what would happen is, so in Vancouver, you know, you got like the bad part of any city and so for Vancouver that's a street called East Hastings and there's just a lot I mean that's where your homeless and your prostitutes and your drug dealers and everything else just kind of are all in that area and it's a really rough place um, it is the oh what was that stat it is the only place in North America being watched by the World Health Organization just in regards to uh, I think it was le the levels of hepatitis and AIDS and um, you know, this is where the police officers burn out in less than a year and the social workers burn out and, you know, it's just, and it's right there by, by the police station and city hall. It's just a really, really hard place. And all kinds of charitable organizations are in that area as well, too. It's just kind of saturated, but it's just a really hard place. And, um, so we would, we would do these urban plunges and there'd be different activities or, or different service things, but... At some point um, in the weekend or while we were there, uh, and, and I mean, we would do this as well as staff too, but the assignment was to go out in small groups and just observe, just observe. But, but this is the question as you're observing is, Lord, how do you see these people? And so as you're sitting there trying to blend in, but totally not blending in, um, you know, when, when you see the drug deal go down, okay, Lord, how do you see that? How do you see this people, right? When you see the, you know, the, 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 the prostitutes, you know, okay, Lord, how do you see this situation? How do you see these people? You know, when, when you see the others that are just, you know, kind of borderline, uh, just very interesting folks <laughs> uh, hanging out on the street, right? Lord, how do you see this? And it was remarkable, the stories that people would, would come back with. Because, and, 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 and the objective was really to see it two-dimensionally. To see it in the physical, but also to see it in, in the spiritual. And I mean, that right there is just a remarkable skill for anyone to develop, is just to see the world two-dimensionally like that. And the stories that people would come back with of, of seeing the physical, but then getting a glimpse of just God's love, God's compassion, God's brokenheartedness over this was just remarkable. There was one time, there was a group of, uh, I think there were three of us, and we had been doing this for a while. And just, I don't know, after a while, we were just feeling just low and heavy and, you know, it was, I mean, it's just a dark place. And, um... Yeah, we were just feeling low about the whole thing. And there was this uh, church, and we are like, well, maybe let's, I don't know, let's stick our, our head in here. But, you know, we tried a couple of the doors, and they were locked. I mean, that's fine. We didn't really expect them to be open. But as we were walking away, this other, this guy opens up the door, and he's like, oh, you, like, do you guys want to come in? And we're like, sure, okay. 
And uh, he's like, yeah, come on in. And so we come in and later on find out, like, the guy doesn't even work there. Like, he was some visiting missionary. I'm not sure he was authorized to do any of this. So, but this guy welcomes us in. And right as we go into the sanctuary, so help me, the organist, like, just started up, like, their practice thing. So, you know, like, we walk in and, like, this loud organ music just, like, kicks into high gear. Uh, it was a little bit overwhelming. And, um, but he took us around and he showed us the building and then he took us up, like, onto the roof. And once again, I don't know how he had access all, to all this. He was a visiting missionary guy. And he starts telling us stories. And he's like, yeah, the church owns that building over there and that building over there. And they got this ministry happening on over here. And this is going on over there. And he, and, and he just starts rebuilding hope. Like, I mean, it was just remarkable, all the stuff that was going on that, that we had no idea about. And... And the, the, the key theme for, for today is perspective. And it was amazing how on that day, you know, we saw what was going on in the physical realm and it just left us heavy, right? And then some guy lets us into a building and takes us up on the roof and, and shows us what's going on almost more at the spiritual realm and just rebuilds hope because we had a different perspective. Uh, we are in Psalm 73 today. We're on a, a sermon series. We're uh, go, looking at different selected psalms. The book of Psalms, 150 chapters composed of five books. And so we're pulling a different psalm from each book. And today we are in book three. And we're in Psalm 73, which is the, the first psalm of, uh, of book three. Psalm 73 and I are old friends. Um <laughs> We go back quite a ways. Uh, the first time I really uh, kind of encountered Psalm 73, uh, a guy had asked me to come share at his youth group on one of the Psalms. And I was like, which one? He goes, I don't care. Pick one. I'm like, there's 150 of them, man. Give me something to work with. And um, he's like, yeah, yeah, no, just pick one. And really just by, by God's grace and, and providence uh, led me to Psalm 23. And it's just been, um, yeah a good psalm for me ever since. We're going to work through this. I'm actually going to read it out of the NIV this morning. I, I like the NIV translation a little bit better. Um, as, I, as I work through this, though, here are just some of the main points that, that you're going to see. The author is going to give a brief intro in the beginning. Then he is going to explain a time in his life where things were just really low. He was very depressed. Uh, he was frustrated. He felt that life was unjust, that it was unfair. Uh, he envied wicked people. Then he is going to have a very distinct turning point. Literally half a verse. That's all you get. Half a verse, turning point. He's going to offer a few kind of wrap-up words on, on how he views the wicked. And then really the rest of it is just reflecting on, on who God is. And really it is one of the most remarkable psalms around perspective and understanding perspective that, that I know of. Um, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, feel free to follow along. Like I said, um, this will be in the NIV. Uh, first two verses, he writes, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. 
So he, he gives us this intro on what he's about to share. And you get the sense that, like, things turned out okay, but it was dicey for a while. Like, he was right on the edge. Um, my feet almost stumbled. My steps nearly slipped. Then he goes through and he outlines his pain and his frustrations. I'm going to read verses 3, 3 to 12 on this. And, and so here, here is where his feet almost slips. He goes, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their calloused hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their mind know no limit. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. So, this is how he's feeling at the moment. He looks around and he goes, the wicked are prosperous. They're wealthy. They have what they need. They have what they want. Because of this, they're incredibly arrogant. They have no needs. They're, they're healthy. They're well-fed. They're, they're not starving. They don't struggle with illness or disease. You know, as a side note, I mean, envy of body is a big thing for us today. Sometimes it's around sickness. I once heard this fantastic phrase, good health is a crown that only the sick can see. Isn't that good? Good health is a crown only the sick can see. Sometimes we envy over other stuff. We say, well, I'm too skinny, I'm too fat, I'm too short, I'm too tall, I'm not athletic enough, I'm not smart enough, my cheekbones aren't right, my feet aren't right, my face isn't right. And we say this because we assume that they, whoever they is, has it better. Verse 6, because life is so flawless and perfect and easy for the wicked, they boast arrogance and they're violent and they threaten oppression. They don't care. They'll just take from you and keep on taking and they don't care how many lives they destroy just so long as they get what they want. You are expendable and when you are used up, they will simply dispose of you and find someone else to take your place. You're just means to an end, their selfish end. And the author is thinking, boy, you know, it must be nice to be on the other side of the table and be the one that gets to use people like that as compared to be the one that's getting used and discarded. Verse 9, these people are so bold, they are so arrogant that they start making truth claims about heaven and about God and about eternity and about the universe. And as a result of all of this, do people flee? No. No, their people turn to them in abundance and they, they follow them, they believe them, they, they drink up waters in abundance. They have followers who just take it all in and believe it all. 
in verse 11 and 12, it just it, it, it culminates into this idea that they even mock God. It's almost like they claim they're bigger than God. And this is what life is like for them. This is what the wicked are like. Any of that resonate with you? Ever feel like you've been on the receiving end? No one feels like they're on the giving end of this, right? But it's easy to feel like we're on the receiving end of this. He shares two more verses on his frustration, but this time it's from a different angle. He says, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. So verse 13, he has shown this great self-discipline in maintaining a pure heart and in maintaining pure actions. That's what it mentions, hands and heart, so that's thoughts and actions. And for what? Nothing. In vain. Got him nowhere. Nice guy finished last. It's been a complete waste of time and effort. For all these years, he's exhibited this self-discipline, and it's gotten him nothing. Verse 14, he talks about, I, I, I think he's being talked talks about being disciplined by God. A New Testament talks about God the Father disciplining those he loves. I think that's what's going on here. If you grew up with parents that that loved you enough to discipline you, then you've had moments like this as well too. You've had moments of this isn't fair and my friends get to do that, but I have to do this and I have to stay home and study and work and be diligent. It's really easy to relate to this first part of the psalm. Really easy. In the psalm, he always refers to them as the wicked, but at times, folks, I I think we feel the same kind of jealousy towards other brothers and sisters in Christ. I've shared with you, that's been part of my struggle at, at times. I envied, honestly, I have envied righteous men and righteous women more than I have envied wicked people. It's still envy, still jealousy, still not an attitude of gratefulness. And then the transition. Verse 15, if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Verse 17, till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Verse 16, he tries to understand it. He tries to process it by himself. He can't. He just His mind just can't wrap around it. It's oppressive. It doesn't make sense. Thinking it through doesn't work. But verse 17 is the transition that, that changes everything for him. And, and really, verse 17 is the only application verse in all this. It's just half a verse. But he says, till I entered the sanctuary of God. How do you enter the sanctuary of God? I believe that's going to be a little bit different for all of us. I can tell you that it's not social media or the news. Is it prayer? Is it a prayer walk in nature? Is it coming to church? Is it musical worship? Is it reading scripture? It's also not recreation. It's easy for us to confuse recreation and Sabbath. Those are two different things. 
How do you Sabbath? How do you enter the sanctuary of God? And if you don't know, you should find out really soon. Like, Just experiment a lot until you find something that works for you, and then do that. Throughout the whole psalm, this is the only verse where change takes place. No other change takes place in the entire psalm except for this verse. Nothing about his environment changes, only his perspective changes. He shares a a few wrap-up words on this. He says, Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. After his perspective changed, he only spends a few words on the wicked. The the rest of his, his speech is directed towards God and his relationship with God. But now his attitude is that, honestly, the wicked are not to be bothered with. I mean, today they have all these claims and all these boasts about God and they slander God. But when God responds to them in full, they are swept away so effortlessly. It's like when you wake up from a good sleep and there was a dream, but you immediately forget what the dream was. That's the kind of effort that, that will take place. This is such a huge and radical mental shift. Before he envied them, he idolized them, he wanted to be like them. Now he understands that, that their end is destruction. And frankly, he's lost all interest. Like, I mean, it's not even worth talking about anymore. All interest is gone. I think this is also an interesting way to possible indicator on on getting a, a read on how much time has someone spent in the sanctuary of God is their speech filled with verses 1 to 14 with bitterness with resentment with complaining with comparing or is their speech you know verses 18 to 20 Yeah, that's a thing now, but someday God's going to make it all right. He carries on in verse 21. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. He almost speaks with guilt about his attitude before God. I love the imagery of a brute beast before God, somehow in the in the throne room of God. I, I what I picture when I picture this. I have you ever had like an animal on a leash and it's just like flopping and flailing and pulling and tugging and fighting you the whole way, or just like seeing a toddler go through a temper tantrum? Like that's what I picture happening before the throne of God. Like how dumb would you feel if afterward you're like, Ugh, yeah, that was me. He says, that's how I was before God, like a brute beast. Then he proceeds to talk about God's faithfulness to him in all this. This is how the psalm ends, starting in verse 23. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. 
You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. It says God holds him by his right hand. I, for me, I picture a parent holding the hand of their child. It says that God guides him with counsel and that when life is done and over, that he is welcomed into heaven. And that in all of heaven and earth, it is only God that he desires. And even when his body is failing, God is his strength. All those evil people that he envied, the ones that were far from God by their own choosing, they will perish. They will not be welcomed in heaven. But as for the author, it is good. It is good to be near to God. And then really, he, it's like he ends with this statement of evangelism. He just says, I will tell of all your deeds. This author has a remarkable story, and he will gladly share it with others. There's a brief video. You can pull up that, that video now that, that I want you to see. There's no sound uh, on this video. Um, it's a piece of artwork uh, by an artist by the name of Bernard Prass, and he made a sculpture of a portrait. Apparently, there's a quasi-famous portrait of another guy, Ferdinand Chevelle. And it's remarkable because, as you can see in this, um, when you look through the small viewing glass, it's the portrait of a man. But when you look at it from the side, pretty much it's just disorganized trash. Or your basement, I don't know, however personal you want to get. Absolutely unrecognizable from the side. Until you look through the viewing glass. I think sometimes when we look at our lives, it feels like we're looking at it from the side. We don't have that straight on view from the looking glass. We're standing at the side and we just see disorganized, random, no purpose, haphazard, no goal, agenda. And it just it looks like like just your garage vomited and someone glued it together. And no matter how long you look at it from the side, it will always look like mayhem. And I think this is what the psalmist means when he says he tried to understand it but was oppressive to him. He's standing on the side, he's looking at it, and it doesn't make any sense. The only way to see the beauty in this work of art is to change your position, is to change your perspective. You get up, you move to the other side, you look through the viewer, and only then do you see the brilliance and the beauty of it. Nothing about the art has changed. It's still made of, you know, house scraps, which is a polite word for garbage. But from the proper perspective, we see its beauty and we see the intricacy of the arrangement. If one of those pieces of stuff were moved a few inches, it, it wrecked the portrait. 
But each one is very intentionally placed a certain way. In Psalm 73, the author never claims that that anything functionally kind of changed in his life. The wicked doesn't change. He isn't suddenly healthy. He isn't suddenly wealthy. He like like nothing actually changed. But his perspective changed. He now understands that their future and he now understands God's faithfulness to him even when he's behaved like like a beast before God. Folks, the this psalm really only has two applications. Um, it has a whole lot of material that we can relate to at the beginning. It has some promises of what could be at the end. But when it comes to application, it really only names two things. The second one is at the very end where he says, I will tell of all your deeds. But the first one is that he entered the sanctuary of God. Folks, you have to learn how to enter the sanctuary of God and what that does for you. Our lives are governed by our understanding of truth. And our understanding of truth depends on our perspective. Each of us goes through life uh, assuming that, that, that we have the truth. But it always goes through this lens, this filtered lens called perspective. And to, to the extent that, that that lens is clear, then our truth will align with actual truth. But if that lens is cloudy somehow, then our truth will not match up with actual truth. Our definition, our understanding of truth first has to go through this lens of perspective. And only in the sanctuary of God do we acquire that proper perspective. Find the sanctuary of God and then tell of all that he has done for you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, this artist that we just watched, thank you for his skill. Thank you for his talent, Lord, and thank you for how much it teaches us on the value of perspective. God, all of us have stood at the sides looking at that pile of household scraps and thought, this is random, it's ugly, and it doesn't make any sense, and I don't like it. Some of us have been there. Some of us are there. Lord, I pray for each one of us that we would come before you, that we would enter your sanctuary, and that you would guide us to that little viewing window where suddenly we see our lives from your perspective and we see the intricacy. We see the beauty. We see the detail. And Lord, we realize that what before looked haphazard was actually incredibly, incredibly intricate. So, Lord, we continue to surrender our lives to you. Lord, we say, have your way. Have your way in my life, in our life. That, that our lives would just be this, this blank canvas for, for you to, to draw on and, and create beautiful art. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Psalm 73. Thank you for how it's so easy to relate to and yet offers such incredible hope when we understand life from your perspective. We love you, Lord. Amen.